News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can also email uh, Pete at the Pete Callender Show and also hit me up on the Twitter machine at Pete Callender. The Supreme Court, in their deliberations over a uh, an abortion case out of Mississippi, it's called the Dobbs case, the Supreme Court took a vote, as they do. This is part of the normal process. They took a vote find out where everybody is on the matter. Then they go off and start writing their opinions. They argue back and forth. They revise and amend their opinions and that sort of thing. It's a lengthy process. Takes a while. You got the justices, but you also have their clerks that are all involved in this process. And until yesterday, nobody, as far as I know, had ever taken any of that work product any of the back and forth or initial drafts or anything like that, nobody had ever taken any of these documents and given them to the press before the opinion was issued by the Supreme Court. Until now. Until now. The Supreme Court voted to strike down the landmark Roe v. Wade decision according to an initial draft majority opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito that was circulated inside the court and obtained by Politico. They posted it. They published it. They offered no explanation as to what motives the leaker may have had. They offered no explanation for why they decided to help do the kind of damage to the court that they have now done. Not in the opinion. Look, the opinion is going to be what it's going to be. This has nothing to do with what their opinion is, what the 5-4 ruling, if that's the way it breaks. Because now what? Like, let's say Justice Roberts becomes convinced by this opinion, and now he sides, and it's a 6-3 decision by the court. Now everyone's going to know that he wasn't initially on board, but he became a supporter at some point. So now you know how people are getting swayed. Instead of just presenting the final vote, this is the vote, here's our opinion, here's the dissenting opinion or opinions, and that's it. And everybody has this to work off of, and that's it. But no, now it's... um, now it's we're going to get some inside baseball. We're going to see who flipped and why. But also we get to pressure. We get to pressure the judges to make a different call. We know who to target now and how to target them and who. You know, why we, we don't need to focus our efforts on Roberts. He's apparently on our team, right? This also has a political uh, angle to it, which is to help fundraise for a beleaguered Democrat party. Right. They're looking. I read this and I thought, my God, they must think they're going to get wiped out. So desperate are they to gin up support and rile the base that they that somebody in the in the Supreme Court. Some clerk, that's that's my bet. That's the that's the Occam's razor explanation for this is that a leftist. uh, Clerk working for one of the progressive judges leaked it out. Because they were either so outraged that they were going to lose this case. And, oh, my God, we're going to lose. Everybody needs to know this as soon as possible. Marshal the forces. Right. Don your pink hats and march on the court. Or it was because they realized we need to make sure Democrats turn out and vote so we can, you know, not lose any 
state legislative uh, policy debates over this once this ruling goes through. Even, but that's still a political motivation. They're trying to spur Democrat action, Democrat voter action. So they wanted to put this out there, right? Before, what, midterms? But you're so far ahead of the midterms. So why now? There's a piece over here. I'm trying to pull it up now. It's from Slate, which, yes, yes, I know. It's Slate.com. So, but they go through four scenarios as to who this leaker is. Scenario one, a progressive clerk leaked the opinion on their own. This is the Occam's razor answer. See, so they said the same thing. Uh, And the one spreading quickly in conservative media over the leak. So I like that. So you got to you got to throw in because it is slate. You got to throw in the fact that this is spreading quickly in conservative media, literally in the same sentence, like the very next word after you say Occam's razor answer and the one spreading quickly in conservative media. Well, maybe the most obvious answer and the easiest explanation, the most obvious uh, explanation is the correct one, which is that it would be a lefty clerk, right? Why would it have to be the one being spread in conservative media, the one that's spreading quickly? Why does that matter? Shouldn't that be spreading in all media? Or are you saying that mainstream legacy corporate outlets, they're not spreading this idea for some other reason? Whatever reason would that be? That an angry clerk of one of the progressive justices leaked the opinion to prepare the public for the end of Roe hoping to potentially galvanize opposition against the decision and to make one last desperate attempt to change one of the five votes to overturn Roe. Again, this was the theory that animated conservative media in the hours after the news, which practically described the leaker as a traitor to the country. Um, scenario two. A conservative justice leaked it, possibly through a clerk. This isn't necessarily the likeliest outcome, but all of the options, this would seem to me to be the shrewdest tactically. This according to the Slate writer, which, let me see who this is. Jeremy Stahl. Jeremy Stahl, or Stahl. He thinks this would be the shrewdest tactically. First, it wouldn't make sense for a clerk who opposed Roe to leak this without the permission of his or her boss... It would not only put the person's career in jeopardy, it would also put at risk a legal victory that conservatives have been working toward for decades. However, it would make perfect sense for a conservative justice to leak this opinion, either themselves or through a clerk, if for some reason they thought one of the five votes was still on the fence, to pressure that fence sitter to stay on the team. Even if that vote was uh, not on the fence, a conservative justice leak would make sense in that it might preempt any sort of last-minute squishiness, as Roberts apparently experienced in the Obamacare decision. Scenario three, a progressive justice leaked the news. Consider the reasons for this to be a combination of scenario one and scenario two. A progressive justice may have leaked this knowing it was unlikely for them to be caught, and in order to try to put one last final push of pressure on any potentially wavering justices, as in scenario one. Again, it does not seem like this would work, but if anyone would be privy to the possibility that another justice might be swayed to change his or her mind by ending, uh, about ending Roe, uh, by a massive public uh, backlash to draft this opinion, it would be another one of the justices. 
right? So that's the progressive justice would leak it in order to apply pressure. Or scenario four, that it was Chief Justice Roberts, which is, he says, the least likely of the scenarios because of how intensely Roberts has sought to portray himself as the protector of the court's legitimacy. Okay, so those are four scenarios. I don't know which one is true, but I do hope we find out. Because I think we need to know, and I think the credibility of the court depends on it, and the ability of the court to uh, to hash out cases confidently and in private requires us to know. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Justin Amash, former congressman, he said, leaking a draft opinion of the Supreme Court destroys trust among the justices and undermines justice. The justices must be able to share their thoughts candidly and vulnerably with one another. They are judges deciding cases, not legislators writing laws that need public input. David Hersani from National Review. He says, on this issue, at least, American government, including the filibuster, it's working just as it should, overturning judicial tyranny, stopping crass majoritarianism, and returning issues to the states. Exactly. By the way, um, Roe v. Wade, heavy-handed judicial activism. Don't take my word for it. That's what Ruth Bader Ginsburg called it. Heavy-handed judicial activism. That's what Roe v. Wade was. Daniel Vaughn, writer at The Dispatch and Arc Digital, um, Arc Digi, Arc Digi, whatever. Uh, he says, Roe is bad law. It was never based on any precedent. It was wholly a political creation. This is all a very silly argument. A clear majority of Americans, by the way, think abortion should be legal for the first trimester. For the first trimester. But the second trimester no opposition rises to about two-thirds of all voters and for the third it's over 80 percent that according to gallup okay so when people say oh it's a it's a popular opinion most people are for it with restrictions this gets into again when we talk about this topic and right now i know i'm kind of all over the place because there are a lot of different issues involved you got the the leak issue and to me that's a that's a long-term problem because these fights are now going to occur at all the state level Right. If this is the way it goes with Roe v. Wade, if this is what the opinion looks like at the end, um, then this goes back to the states, which is where it belongs. And then we have the debate at the state level what we want our laws to be. And I will be part of that debate. Absolutely. But there, there hasn't been any kind of game of hide the ball here. Right. We understand there are going to be states that are probably going to go whole hog, you know, kill as many babies as possible, right? Oh, they don't like the way you say it. They don't like it when you say it like that. Sorry. To exterminate as many clumps of cells as possible, right? They're going to let you, they're going to, they're going to say, they're going to say life begins based on geography. That's going to be the argument or the legal standing in, in, or a a standard in some states. I know that's going to be the case. Some states are going to say, if you're inside the birth canal versus outside, you know, can kill you, can't kill you. Like, that's the that's going to be the dividing line. And maybe in some states they're going to say, you know what, even after you're born, you may be laying on the table, we still could probably whack you. 
Okay, so like some states are going to go that direction in like full homage to Moloch. That's what they're going to go. That's where they're going to go. That's and and for them, God help you, but that's what that laboratory of democracy is going to do. And if you like that, and you really need to get you some abortions, you're going to go to those states. Sorry, if the women's health care. If that's really what animates you, if you are a single-issue voter on that topic, you should go live in the states, support the states where uh, they allow that kind of barbaric behavior to occur. You go right ahead and do that. But guess what? That means that you're going to have some states that choose a different path. And that's okay. It, it really is okay. They're allowed to have a different opinion. Yeah, no, for real. They're allowed to think differently, even on a topic like abortion. They're allowed to have a different... And if enough people in a state say, you know what, we don't really feel comfortable with this thing, or we don't feel comfortable with it after this amount of time, or we don't feel comfortable with this particular procedure, or whatever, we're going to say no. We're going to say you can't do that here. And then we'll try to construct laws that govern that prohibition. And if you don't live in this state... Pound sand. Go work in your state for whatever law you want in your state. Clay Travis, talk show host, he says the leaking of a draft Supreme Court opinion is truly unheard of. Clear intent here by left wingers who leaked it is to pressure Biden to end the filibuster and pack the courts this summer while Democrats still have a majority in Congress. It's also designed clearly to put Supreme Court justices in the majority under incredible political pressure and potentially to encourage violence against them before the opinion officially becomes law. Again, I can't stress enough how unprecedented a draft opinion leaking is. Nate Hockman, uh, he's a reporter, if I recall correctly. Uh, He said a crowd of protesters grew quickly last night, pushing toward the barricade that the handful of guards put up earlier in the night. Chants of fascist scum have got to go. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Get another chant, you crazy people. Okay. Also, they uh, interspersed uh, names of the conservative justices. So fascist scum have got to go would also be turned into, you know, Justice Barrett's got to go. An unruly mob calling the duly seated Supreme Court fascist. They're definitely not brown shirts, guys. Why would you say that? That's comfortably smug on Twitter. Michael Brennan Darty said, not to be a pill here, but... It is possible, at least thinkable, that an angry conservative clerk leaked this um, because they maybe they lost one of the votes on the majority. Maybe somebody peeled away. Gorsuch, I'm looking in your direction. Or Kavanaugh, right? That they got, they got cold feet, they bailed, and some conservative justice or clerk got mad. Hale Razor, a conservative uh, satirist, he said Justice Alito in the Supreme Court, the conservative Supreme Court, are robed dictators hurting democracy by threatening to overturn Roe v. Wade when liberal judicial activists created out of thin air a sweeping new law without going through the legislative process of democracy. So don't you see? That's how that works. Undoing a super legislative or I should say a contra legislative act. Throwing that out, adhering to the constitutional order, the separation of powers, Finally writing that wrong, that's fascism. In the mind of the left, that's fascism. That's where we are. And uh, Brian Griffin, who is the deputy press secretary for Governor DeSantis, 
said, if you think intentionally leaking a draft court opinion is beyond the left, you miss the part where they campaigned to pack the court with their activists. If the court is swayed by this leak, the institution is existentially threatened, and it's unacceptable. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. couple more uh, reactions here to the Supreme Court uh, initial draft of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. This is, not, this is not the official final opinion. This is a draft. It was actually done back in February. That's how old this is. It was done in February, which, by the way, that timeline lines up then. And it has been uh, uh, declared to be authentic by the, uh, the Supreme Court. The founder and editor of Compact Magazine, Saurab Amari, says it really is hilarious how the left shifts back to gendered terminology and essentialist claims about womanhood when abortion is at stake. It's so true. All of a sudden, it's about a woman's right to choose. But don't ask me to define a woman because I'm not a biologist. Richard Grinnell of the Trump administration, former ambassador, he said the U.S. is one of only seven countries that allow elective abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy. It's one of those things I mentioned earlier. When you have discussions about the actual information about abortions, procedures, right, uh, laws and uh, notifications, and one of the things you always hear is rape and incest. So one of the questions I usually ask when having this discussion, I will ask people, okay, well, how many, uh, how many cases of pregnancy are due to rape and incest as a percentage. Do you have any idea? What would you guess? It's about 1%. 1%. Okay, but let's, so it's a very small percentage. So I would argue that you don't, you don't set policy based on the 1%. You base the policy on the 99%. And then you try to find exemptions or exceptions for the 1%, right? But let's set that aside for a moment. Let's say, Okay, you 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 give a you give a pass, rape and incest victims they're out. You don't you can uh, you can ab- abort. That's fine. Get rid of that. Okay, now that's off the table. So now we're only looking at the ninety nine percent. So are you okay with with restrictions on that? See, because that's where the argument on policy should be. And you have to eliminate the rape and incest uh, uh, course out of the debate. Because they will run down that course. They will run down that path and then exhaust you with all of these arguments about rape and incest in order to avoid having the conversation and debate over the 99% part of the policy. So that's why it's just it's not even important to debate that. Just just seed the field. Just just give that part up, say, fine, rape and incest, caveat, no problem, they're off the table. What about the rest? That's how you get past that line of defense in the argument. Um, Pradeep Shankar, he says, uh, this is your reminder that on third trimester, third trimester abortions, the U.S. is an outlier. Most countries ban the practice. Benjamin Weingarten, he says, borking, high-tech lynching, Kavanaugh caper, court packing, filibuster obliteration, high-tech lynching 2.0, Roe gate, 
That's what he's calling this, Rogate. The left's assault on the Supreme Court knows no bounds because they have to take over every last institution and no tactic is too low. RB Pundit says, now what if, just follow me here, what if instead we started ingraining in our kids that sex is not some throwaway thing? How about that? Maybe that's a good pathway forward for our society, right? It's a serious responsibility instead. That one of the consequences is that a human life is created. What if the fundamental value of life actually then snowballs into people valuing each other more? What if respecting the sanctity of life leads to people caring about each other more? You may say he's a dreamer. You're going to hear a lot about polling. Actually, legal abortion is very popular. You're going to hear that. This is what I've seen. The Washington Post, I'm on their distribution list. They keep wanting me to interview Washington Post reporters. No, I do not care to do that. But it's interesting to watch their feed come through of the stories that they pitch and how they frame them. And that was how they framed one of them. That this is, you know, abortion is, access to abortion is still very popular. But you know what? Laws like the one in Mississippi that was at the heart of this case being debated... They actually have broad public support, too. According to an NPR PBS Marist poll from last year, 29% of Americans think that abortion should generally be allowed after the first three months. That's it. 29% after the first three months. So 13 weeks or so. That broad public support is likely to grow when Americans learn that, according to the Center for Reproductive Rights database, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Norway, Switzerland, lots of other European countries actually have a limit of 14 weeks or earlier. That's when they say rights obtain, because that is the question. When do rights obtain? When does that baby get the protections of human rights? And I recognize that that baby's rights are in conflict with the mother's rights. I understand that. I totally understand that. I'm not denying that, you know, it's your body. I I get that. But I also don't deny that it's somebody else inside your body, too. And that person may have some rights as well, no? Right? This is the argument that nobody wants to have. Because once you start creating limits on when people become protected by rights, those limits, they have a way of escaping the womb, You know what I mean? Because if I can dispose of somebody by saying they don't have rights, then doesn't that apply to other people in similar circumstances located outside of the womb? Of course it does. I've heard people make the argument that I should be able to abort a child if it can't survive on its own. What does that mean? I mean, a baby cannot, as far as I know, I mean, aside from that movie where the baby is the boss of like a company or something, Aside from that, or yes, the one that uh, tries to take over the world, hangs out with his pet dog in Connecticut or something. Anyway, a Quahog. Yeah, yeah, right? Isn't that where they are? Okay. So aside from those two babies, I'm not aware of any other baby that's able to take care of themselves. So how late do you allow that, that viability standard to go? Like how far out do you push that? And I have literally had discussions with people who make the argument that it should go 
until even after birth a couple for you know maybe a day or two. But these are all arbitrary lines. That's my point here. When do rights obtain? These are arbitrary lines. We're just making them up. And a judge or a lawyer in a black robe with a wardrobe change, they're not any better suited to make an arbitrary line than a legislature is. They're not smarter, not better. There are a lot of smart people that are lawyers that work in legislative bodies all over the country. They would come to different conclusions. So if we're all, if we've already determined that this is just arbitrary, you know, fixing of a point for when do rights obtain, then you better come with some sort of an explanation as to why you picked that point. And if you've got nothing except woman's right to choose, and that also could be implemented outside of the woman can go to people who are invalids or elderly or in comas and stuff. Where like, do you not see the, the lack of humanity that comes with that pathway? I do. I do. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Email from Dennis to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Pete, do you or do you not think that this big leak in the Supreme Court is perfect ammo for the newly created Ministry of Truth to begin investigating? Great point, Dennis. Let's get... uh, uh, what's her name? Poppins Jenkowitz on the case. Maybe she can write a parody song. Um, Pete, if we reacted to the first genetic information provided us by Amnio that our child had a 7% chance of genetic situation that was not suitable for life, had we aborted on this information, we would not have a beautiful 21-year-old daughter. Yeah, I, I know. I have family members who were told similar... Uh, prognoses, let's say, and decided to keep the child and not abort the child, and child turned out fine. Charles C.W. Cook at National Review, this was, um, what is this, April 4th, uh, April 7th, sorry, April 7th, so he wrote this about a month ago. I thought for some reason, I'm looking at the date, and I'm like, wait, this was, this date hasn't even happened yet. But no, we're in May now. Man, the months are just flying by. All right, so during the lengthy oral arguments in this case, this case is Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, but everybody refers to it as Dobbs. And Justice Breyer suggested that Roe v. Wade could be considered legitimate on the grounds that back in 1973 said, quote, the country, for better or worse, decided to resolve their differences by this court laying down a constitutional principle, in this case, women's choice. If the Supreme Court is to avoid damaging its reputation with its impending decision in Dobbs, it must reject Breyer's line. Again, Breyer said that the country, for better or worse, decided to resolve their differences by this court laying down the law, laying down a constitutional principle of women's choice. Every part of that sentence is incorrect. The country did not ask the court to resolve its differences on abortion. The court did that on its own. In no sense were there any of those differences actually resolved either by the court. 
I mean, look at the last 50 years of American politics. There was no real constitutional principle at stake either because Roe was invented from whole cloth. They just made it up. Shortly after the decision was handed down, the pro-choice legal scholar John Hart Eli explained in no uncertain terms that Roe was, quote, bad constitutional law based on the grounds that it was, quote, not constitutional law and gives almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. He was correct. By the way, he was a pro-choice legal scholar. He was pro-choice, but he was honest. And he said, this is not in the Constitution. This is, by the way, the same, um, this was the same position I found myself in with the Obergefell ruling, the gay marriage ruling. I don't have any problem with churches marrying whoever they want. If it's your church, it's your religion, freedom of religion in America, marry whomever you want. If the state wants to uh, uh, assert some sort of, you know, uh, compelling interest in making sure that kids have families, uh, you want to put them under contract, then fine. Draw up contracts, marriage contracts, anybody can enter into them, and that's the state's role, and that's it, right? But this idea that I need to have my marriage sanctified by the state, uh, no, I reject that. Now, that being said, so all of that led me to this position that uh, I was not a fan of uh, the bans on gay marriage, and I told conservatives, get the government out of this business before the left uses government to enforce this, and I did not. I did not convince anybody. And then we got the Obergefell ruling, which I opposed. I oppose. Like I could read that ruling and say this doesn't make sense. This is not legal precedent. This is not based on anything other than love wins. Love is love. There is no limiting principle to it. But whatever, it doesn't matter. That's what this guy John Hart Eli found himself the same position he found himself in. He is pro-choice. But he said this is not constitutional law and gives no sense of an obligation to try to be. Roe v. Wade was not the result of some unfortunate misinterpretation. It was not the product of a thorny argument over the practical application of the Constitution's plain text. It was not the sour fruit of a scrivener's error. It was a contrivance, a fiction, a lie. As Eli noted in the same essay, Roe v. Wade's finding was, quote, not inferrable from the language of the Constitution, the framers' thinking respecting this specific problem and issue, any general value uh, value derivable from the provisions they included, or the nation's governmental structure. Instead, a majority of the justices wanted it, and so they just made it up. And since then, the court has been faced with a choice— Either keep making it up or finally admit the error. Justice Scalia, back in 1992, he said, quote, Roe fanned into life an issue that has inflamed our national politics in general and has obscured with its smoke the selection of justices to this court in particular ever since. Think about what the future Supreme Court nominations will look like if they're not always some sort of surrogate discussion about Roe v. Wade, right? Because that's really what most of that gets to. When they talk about stare decisis and precedent and all of this, what they really are trying to get at is, are you going to overturn Roe v. Wade? And, and keep in mind, overturning Roe v. Wade does not ban abortion. 
Now, some states might go and ban abortions. That might happen. But it doesn't automatically do that. It sends it back to states, and states will decide what is and is not criminal activity. That's up to states. Now, in North Carolina, there may be a lot of people worried that the Republicans in North Carolina's legislature are going to criminalize it. Yeah, that's a possibility. I'm not going to deny that. And that's why people need to get involved in their state and local politics. This is why it matters. This was the whole point of the system. You can actually make more of a difference at your state and local levels than you can at the federal level, which is why the founders said, keep the power closer to the people. When you start consolidating all the politics and all the policy, the rules, laws, and governance up in D.C. becomes much harder to control that Leviathan. So get involved, state, local, county, city, Get involved where you can make a really big difference. And I'll see you on the battlefield in the political arena, metaphorically speaking. All right, Brett Winterbull's coming up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.